Have you ever been to prison before? I have. Three hours. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. I was 21 years of age, and I had just become a Christ follower. You know, when you become a Christ follower, the first thing that shouldn't happen in your life is you go to jail. But it's what happened to me. Before I was a Christ follower, there's some things in my life that I probably shouldn't have been doing. One time I was issued a ticket and never took care of the ticket because I didn't take care of a lot of things in my life. And at the age of 21, coming home from work one night, dressed in a full tuxedo, coming home from work, the police officer pulled behind me because I'd switched around a, a light bulb in the back of my tail light where my brake light was supposed to be. And, and he, uh, he pulled my license plate number up and there was a warrant out for my arrest from another county. And so I had the privilege of being handcuffed, put in the back seat of a car, head pushed down, and drove off to the county jail. My three hours of prison. What's the first thing that you think of when you're in jail? I don't wanna be here. <laughs> what am I doing here? Who am I gonna call at one o'clock in the morning and tell them that I'm in jail and I really didn't do anything? You know, it was quite interesting that night. In just a few moments, I was sitting there thinking about my life and contemplating my new faith in Christ from a prison jail. And all of a sudden, the door swung open. I heard a, a lot of commotion. And the local police department had just done a, a sting. You know, there's preachers, and there's this other group of people. There's politicians, but there's even another group of people. And they, they work a different kind of trade. A group of young women had just been picked up by the local police officers, and a whole bunch of them had put in the back of a paddy wagon, and they got drugged down to the county jail. And there I am in prison bars, full tuxedo, and all these ladies of the evening come walking in. <laughs> I got to tell you, I got a story to tell from jail. Well, it was quite interesting. I was able to leave that night. I called one friend, one guy that I called. I thought I could call, wouldn't tell anybody else that I actually went to jail. I'm telling you today, though. You know, but it was from prison jail that I began to realize that there are so many things that happen in people's lives. So many things that happen in people's lives. And when you find yourself in a place, I was in a physical jail. The writer of the story of the letter that we're going to read today was actually from jail when he wrote, wrote this letter. The fact is we don't have, most of us in this room are not in physical, physical prisons or physical jails, but we have jails of our own making, jails of our own imagination, jails of our own circumstances, jails of our own prisons and of our own problems. And today, I got to ask you the question, do you have the joy, joy, joy down in your heart? Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, Lord, I pray today to every heart will be able to hear not my words, but your words. We thank you for the power that we've already experienced today at the communion table. We thank you for the grace that you've extended to us, Lord, as you poured out your spirit in our hearts and we've re received the encouragement of the work of your spirit. Lord, we love to worship you, but now, Lord, we positioned ourselves to hear from you, hear from your word. God, I pray that you will speak to every person in this room. Give them spiritual ears to hear. God, that we will leave this place not the same that we came. We love you, Jesus, and we give you all the praise in your wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Over the next several weeks, we're going to take a journey of joy. We're actually going to break open our Bibles, and we're going to look verse by verse through the book of Philippians. It's actually not a book. It's a letter. And so if you have your phone, if you have your iPad, 
if you have your old school Bible, I want you to get your Bibles out and turn to Philippians chapter one. In Philippians, the book of Philippians is actually not a book. It's a letter written by Paul the Apostle, a man who was very religious before his conversion, but he was doing it for all the wrong reasons. He was trying to promote religion, a certain kind of religion that brought men not freedom, but brought men into bondage. But he would have an encounter with the risen Savior. He would encounter, have an encounter with Jesus that would take him not from just doing religious duties, but having a relationship with the living God, the one who made him. Paul the Apostle was the writer of this book, and he wrote to a group of Christians, a group of Christians that were located in a community called Philippi. Philippi was about 4,000 miles from Rome, but they really took a lot of pride in being a Roman colony. They had the same privileges of a Roman citizen. And a Roman citizen in that day would be like being a citizen of the United States of America in another country. I mean, millions of people every year try to come to this country. Last night, I was at a restaurant, and the young lady that was serving us, I, I could tell that she wasn't from this country. And I asked her where she was from, and she said, I'm from Venezuela. And I said, oh, that's awesome. And she began to tell me her story. Her and her father came here a year and a half ago. I said, why do you come here? She said, I came here because I wanted a better job. She had a job there, but her, her economy in, in Venezuela, the, the way that the government oppresses people and the things that they're experiencing is causing people to want to leave. And all over the world, people want to come to this country and to become citizens. It was much like that in Paul's day with Rome. Paul was actually a Roman citizen. Philippi was a colony of Rome. They'd even uh, made their architecture. They'd, they'd built their community to look like a, a Roman city. Paul the apostle writing to this group of believers that he had the privilege of being the very first person to preach the gospel there. He went to Philippi about 10 years before this and, and he was looking for some Jewish believers and couldn't find any. But he found some women that were down by the river, a particular woman by the name of Lydia, who wasn't a follower of Christ yet. She knew about God, but she didn't have a relationship with him. And he began to share the love of Jesus with her, and her life was transformed to change. From a handful of women, 10 years later, a church was thriving, a vibrant church, a church that was making an impact, a church that was making a difference. And I, I begin to think about this as we begin to turn through the pages of the book of Philippi, of Philippians. And I'm gonna switch microphones here. As we begin to look through the pages of the book of Philippians, we see this man of great vision. As a matter of fact, Paul would end up going to Philippi because of a vision he had received from a man, a man in a dream, who said, come over to Macedonia, which is, which is where Philippi was located. Come over here. Paul was a man of the Spirit. Paul was a man who was led by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Today, we are so encouraged as we look at this man's life, a man who lived a life of joy. And what we discover about this guy is that everywhere he went, there were riots, revolution, or revival. Paul's passion for the gospel, Paul's passion to stand for the truth would cause him to be thrown into a county jail. Not one time, not two times, but many times. And it would be from a prison cell in Rome 10 years later that Paul would begin to speak to his friends, the believers that were at Philippi. 
What I love about this is that was I begin to look at Paul's life. I begin to think about his passion for the gospel and preaching to believers and, and what he was doing as the father of this local church. He was saying, guys, I want you to know something today. I want you to know something. You've done a great job. I'm really proud of you. You've been following the Lord now for 10 years. Job well done. He was encouraging them. He was encouraging them. And do you know every person in this room, you need encouragement today. You know, I, I was thinking of this illustration. There's, there, there's, there's bees and there are flies. And bees are attracted by honey and flies are attracted by stink. Bees bring life. You know, that other stuff, it brings death. And Paul was bringing life, words of encouragement. As a matter of fact, this would be the only letter that he would write to any church that was a commendation. It was an encouragement. Because when he looked at it, he said, man, you guys are doing amazing. You guys are doing great. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Miss Laura and I were in May, uh, Jacksonville for the week, and and we, were, we had a week there. I would, I would love being with my wife. I love some of the experiences we had. I didn't like the reason that we were there. But we were coming back from Jacksonville, and first thing that we had to do was to come to the marriage seminar yesterday. We didn't have to do it. We wanted to do it. We wanted to work on our marriage. We came, to the, we came into the room, and I was blown away. This whole room had been completely transformed. The tables were beautiful. The music was playing. There was laughter. There was food set up. And if you weren't here at the marriage seminar last year, I just uh, uh, yesterday, I'm just going to tell you, you missed it. You said, well, I don't know. Bless God, we're doing good. You ain't doing that good. Even if you're doing good, you can always get better. And the, uh, the, the speakers yesterday, they, they leaned over to me and they said, wow, these tables are beautiful. I said, wow, you know what? I didn't have anything to do with this. I didn't have anything to do with any of this. I just showed up today. And when I looked around the room, I looked at the team, and I said, team, job well done. Yasty, job well done. Pastor Glenn, job well done. Melanie, job well done. I was so encouraged. City Church, when I see you ministering to our children over in the next building, I say, job well done. When I see the small group leaders leading a small group every uh, once a week and every quarter, I say, City Church small group leaders, job well done. When I see people working at the door, there's a group of people that are here at 7.30 at the morning, in the morning, getting ready to greet. They're putting bulletins together and shoving stuff and all kinds of things and filling stuff and whatever they're doing. And they're here at 7.30. I say, job well done. When you show up today and you engage in God and you give to make his kingdom go further, to advance his cause in our generation, I say, job well done. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. There's several themes that will run throughout this book that we will look at over the next several weeks. There's a, the theme of Paul thanking them for their generosity. He's so grateful to them because these guys just don't talk the gospel. They give the gospel. They give it in practical, tangible ways. They, they give it by their support, by their, by their financial support. As a matter of fact, this small group of believers would support Paul more than any other Christians in the New Testament church. He would also write to them to warn them about some bad actors, about some people that would teach bad theology. And specifically the theology that Paul was talking about, I see in the, existing in the church today. 
two extremes. One extreme is the rigidity, the, the legalism, the bondage that many religions or many people who profess Christ want to entangle people in. Rules, regulations, do this, don't do that. Stand this way, don't stand this way, look this way, don't look this way. And like, like the Old Testament Jews, tr trying to appease God by doing a lot of right things. And what we've come to discover by the grace of God is that God loves you exactly the way you are. God accepts you just the way you are. But every person that comes to God, every person that experiences God's grace, every, everyone experiences his changing power. It isn't about rules today. It's about relationships. But there's another error. It was the same error that was in the early church. It was libertines. It was basically you live any kind of way you want to live. You can live any, you can do whatever you want to do, go anywhere, watch whatever you want to watch, drink whatever you want to do, whatever you want. It's all okay. God, grace, 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 more grace. Yeah, well, that, no, no, no. No, there's a calling to live right lives, to live holy before God. It's not, it's not just from what you do, it's to what you're doing it for. You're doing it for a greater purpose. You're doing it for his glory, for his honor. The filter of our life is grace. The filter of our life is his kindness. The filter of his life is our love for him. And so Paul would encourage them. Paul would encourage them to stay full of joy. Finish the race. Finish the race. And today, my word of encouragement to every person in this room, finish the race. Finish the race that God has begun in your life. Paul would write this book to the church at Philippi, and he would write it through the lens of joy. Everyone say joy. I, I, I wear these. My wife says I look goofy in them, but I still wear them. Because every once in a while, when I go outside, there's a really bright ball hanging in the air. Now, you know, when I, I'm, I'm looking in the natural, I see things they really are. But when I put my joy sunglasses on, I look through a different lens. I see the world from a different perspective. Oh, here I see you just the way you nasty are, your bad self. But when I put these on, I see you through a different lens. I can barely see you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> now, Paul would... View the believers, not through the natural man, but through the spiritual man. He would view them through the lens of joy. Fourteen times he would talk about joy. I just want to give you a couple examples here. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with Philippians, we're going to look at four examples from four different, from four different chapters. But Fourteen times he would talk about this joy or rejoicing. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul would say, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy. Offering prayer with joy. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul would say it like this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy. Joy. Philippians chapter 3, my brethren, everyone say rejoice. Rejoice. Be full of joy in the Lord. Be full of joy in the Lord. And we know this one. We said it many times. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. So what is this joy? 
Lots of definitions. Webster's got a good definition about pleasure and fulfillment and that kind of thing. I love what Dr. Rick Warren says about joy. Dr. Rick Warren says it like this. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. That's good, but like Dr. Rick Warren, it's a little lengthy for me. So we're going to get it down here a little shorter here. Joy is an assurance and peace in your soul that God's got it. Everyone say, God's got it. Oh, it's a peace. It's the assurance in your soul that God's got it. What is joy? As we begin to look at joy in our text this morning, we're going to go through Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. What I want you to see about joy today is that joy is always defined like this, Jesus, others, and you. That's how it's always defined. It's always defined that way. So how do we do this today? How do we live joyful? Can I get up here on the stage and command you to be joyful? Come on, bless God, church. Get joyful now. Come on, put a happy, come on, put, put a, happy, uh, a happy smile on your face. Watch Joel Osteen a little bit if you don't know how to do it. Come on, get a happy smile going here. No, I can't challenge, I can't command you to be joyful today. I can't command you to be full of joy today, but I can encourage you. I can do it just like Paul. I can look out at you, and I can encourage you to be full of joy. There's four little letters, four, one little letter, four little chapters in our English version has one theme that runs in it from the first chapter to the last chapter, joy. Paul sharing his joy with other people from jail. Paul sharing his joy with other people from his prison experience, from his problems. So how do we do this today? How do we do this? How do we share our joy? How do we choose to live a life of joy? How do we do that today? One idea here, stay connected to godly friends. Stay connected to godly friends. I want you to look at verse number one with me. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, leaders in a local church. As a matter of fact, Paul always tra had a traveling partner. Paul was in jail or prison with a young man by the name of Timothy, who was his spiritual son. He didn't see himself as an apostle, he saw himself as a servant. The word and servant in the Greek is dulios. It means slave. One who's slave. A slave of Christ. Rome might think they might have me captured as a prisoner. Rome might think that they have me in prison. But I'm not their prisoner. I'm not the Roman. I'm not Caesar's uh, 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 prisoner. I'm Christ's prisoner today. I'm a slave of Christ Jesus to all God's holy. Everyone say holy. This is so important for you to hear today. Holy people. Now, most of us in this room, we don't feel very holy. We don't. We just don't. Matter of fact, we know ourselves. I was talking to a friend last night. We're talking about a life, and he goes, yeah, you know, or we look at our own lives. We see our own brokenness. And people say some nice things about you sometimes. Like, yeah, right, you know, if you only knew. But that's not how God sees you. That's not how God, that's how Paul saw God's people. You know what, why? Because he saw them differently. He saw the God that was in them. He, he didn't just see the person. 
He saw the God that was in them. And he called them holy. The word holy in the Greek is hagias. It means saint. It means saint. To all of God's saints. I want you to say this with me. On the count of three, I'm going to say Saint Eugene. And on the count of three, we're all going to say our name, but we're going to put the saint in front of it. I want you to hear yourself calling yourself a saint, okay? If you're a Christ follower today, on the count of three, we're going to say, well, I'm going to do one, two, three, and you're going to say saint and your name. Can we do that out loud? Come on, help me out here. One, two, three. Saint Eugene. Did you hear that? That's what you are today. You're holy. Not because of what you've done, but because when God sees you, he sees you through the lens and the filter of the blood of Jesus, his one and only son. That's why you're holy today. So Paul said, listen, to all those holy people, to all those in the church at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, to the leaders and the laborers. It's so important for you today to understand your connection to the local church it's so important for you to understand your connection to being with other believers. Because listen, listen, folks, the fastest way for you to get connected from the joy of Jesus, the fastest way for you to get disconnected from the life and the love of God, the fastest way for you to leak joy, I'm telling you, the fastest way is for you to disconnect it from other godly people in your life. Oh, way too many people out there used to go to church. I talked to a guy last night. I said, I said, well, where do you go to church? Well, he said, well, we used to go to church over this Northland Community Church, but the pastor that was there was left, and that was four years ago. We still haven't been able to find a church. Wow. Disconnected. I can tell you what happens when you get connected from a group of believers. All of a sudden, you start to see the world from a different perspective because you're going to have friends. You're going to have influences in your life. You're going to have people speaking into your life. And for Paul, the apostle, he was writing to the church. He's saying, listen, guys, be connected. Stay focused. Stay focused. Stay focused on who God's created and called you to be. How do you do this today? What happens when you get into community? What happens when you get into relationship with other people? You see, you have a choice today. You can be an encourager or you can be a discourager. Paul chose to be an encourager. I encourage you today to be an encourager. Your relationship with Christ is focused always on others. Paul focused on others. And this is what he tells me to do. This is exactly what Paul speaks over there in verse number two. In verse number two, the Bible says, Paul says, grace and peace to you. You know what Paul does? Paul speaks a blessing over them. How do you encourage other people? How do you encourage people that are in your sphere of influence? You speak blessing over them. How do you encourage your kids today? How do you encourage them today? You speak life over them. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one of Paul's epistles would open with this phrase, grace and peace. Oh, that isn't just an opening, an introduction to a letter. That's Paul's passion and heart. It's for every person to know the grace of God. You see, because when you come to the grace of God, it's how you become saved. When you experience the grace of God, it's your doorway into a relationship with God. For by grace are you saved through faith. But that grace doesn't just save you. 
that grace also sets you free. That grace sets you free today. It's by the Spirit of God today when he comes into your life that these prisons of our life begin to fall off. And the part that we have to play in this is that we begin to speak life and blessing over other people. We begin to speak life and blessing. And that same grace fills us with his Spirit. He empowers us. He empowers us to be full of his Spirit today. The power of life and death are in your tongue. You see, when you speak life to another person, you begin to speak a new reality for them. Because I, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life that I've been really discouraged. As a matter of fact, I, I begin to think about the power of blessing. The power of blessing. You know, in the beginning, the Bible says God spoke and there was light. Blessing. When you speak words of encouragement and words of blessing, you speak creative words that have the power to do something inside of a person's heart. But not only are they creative, not only have they creative power at work on them, they have the, the, the ability to sustain people. Hebrews chapter one, the Bible says, God by his own son, by his mighty spoken word, upholds the universe. When you speak words of encouragement, you sustain people when they're weak. You sustain them when they're weak. And when we speak words of life and blessing, we speak words that have the power to transform. I, I remember, I was really discouraged we had just started the church, and, and we'd been here for a couple of years, and our support system in Seattle was a long ways away, and, and, and the, the church was surviving, but it wasn't thriving at that point. We'd lost the location, and things were really difficult, and I was trying to figure it out, and we'd gotten bad news about Laura back then 20 years ago. She'd had cancer, and it was just a really tough season, and I called a friend of mine, a man who always believed in me. His name was Jack Loman. Jack Loma was an amazing encourager. He would travel all over the world. Preachers and pastors would bring him into large churches to coach their teams and just to speak life and encouragement. And I remember I called Jack on the phone, and he listened to me. He didn't even bring out the violin. He just listened to me. And I went on and on about the problems of my life. And after about 10 minutes, he said, Eugene, I'm really sorry you're going through this. I'm really sorry. He goes, but I can't fix it for you. If I could, I would, but I can't. And then he said these words. He said, Eugene, but I know the one who can. And the way he said that, it wasn't condemnation. It was just a sense of, of, of just commend, commending me. God's got this. God's got you today. I felt so encouraged. There is power in your spoken words because God sees things differently than you see things. You look at your life and you don't have God's sunglasses of joy on. You see the problems. You see the prisons. You see the, the hangups, the hurts, the habits. You see all the bad stuff in other people and in yourself. But all of a sudden, God speaks to your spirit just like he did to the prophet Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel is called to look out on a valley. That valley represented the state and the condition of the nation of Israel. They were dead bones. They were broken people. They were messed up people. They were following the wrong gods. They put the emphasis on the wrong things. They were looking to politics to be their solution and not their God, their Savior. They were doing all the wrong things about the kingdom. 
God looks at that. He says, that's dead. That's not true worship. That's not true worship. That's not relationship with me. And he calls Ezekiel out to this valley. And he says to Ezekiel, listen to it. says, the spirit of the Lord set me in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones. Bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Can the dry places of your life, can the broken places of your life, can the painful places of your life, can they live again? <laughs> can they live again? Oh, yes, they can. Prophesy, speak blessing, speak blessing to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Speaking God's word. Speaking the truth of God, not, not the, your truth or the doctor's truth or your neighbor's truth or the New York Times truth or the Washington's, not anybody else's truth, but what is God's truth? Say to your circumstance and your situation in that moment. Someone said amen this morning. The second thing that I want you to see this morning is that Paul prayed for them. So not only did he speak blessing over their grace and peace, he also prayed for them. Look at verse number three. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this time, from the first day until now. They partnered with him. They partnered with him. Paul was so thankful for their friendship. Are you praying for your friends today? Are you praying for those that are around you that are in need one of the greatest things that you can do to turn the focus from your problem in your prison is begin to pray for other people. My prayer life has increased dramatically over the last eight months. And it's not just at an altar. I find myself in the car, and I'm not just praying for my wife or my circumstances, but I'm praying for all kinds of people because I've had so many opportunities to meet people that are going through something. I always tell people, if you're looking for ministry, I can tell you where to go. You can go to any cancer ward here in Central Florida, and you can go sit on a floor where there's a waiting room that's full of people that are waiting to be treated by doctors, and there's lots of stories in there. There's lots of stories in there of people that are hurting. Someone, they need someone to pray with them. They need someone to love them. They need someone to come alongside of them. Then he said, look what Paul says here in verse number 9. Look what he says here. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and of depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and pure and blameless in the day of Christ. He prayed that their hearts would be full of love. He prayed that their hearts. He was thank thanking God for their friendship, but he was praying that their hearts would be sustained by love. And this is what happens when you begin to walk in the love of God. You begin to do the will of God. We sat on the third floor of the Mayo Clinic this week in a, in a room full of people who are all getting ready to be treated by a doctor or be seen by a doctor. And they were in some stage of cancer. And I sat in that room, and my wife and I, every time we go to one of these places, we see it as a ministry opportunity. Because I got to tell you, I could sit there and think about her problems and my problems, and I get pretty discouraged pretty quick. But the moment I begin to look to who God will allow us to minister to, it all begins to change. There was a lady sitting next to my wife, and we were talking. The room was talking, and, and all of a sudden, where are we from? And she said she was from Deltona. And so we began a conversation with her, and we found out that she's 60 years old, and she has no one in her life. She's single. She hates her job. She's got a bad diagnosis from a doctor. Life isn't very good. You know what she needed in that moment? 
She needed someone with a listening ear who would show love to her. We listened to her. We were supposed to be leaving. We listened to her for five minutes. We listened to her for 10 minutes. We listened to her for 15 minutes. We finally excused ourselves, and she followed us over to the elevator where we took the elevator down to the cafeteria. She followed us all the way to the cafeteria where we sat down. She said, can I sit by you? I said, of course. And we just listened to her story. You know what we were doing? We were taking value, our time. Our time, we could just be together and commensurate, but no, no, no. We turn that focus on other people. See, the way that you experience joy today is by taking the focus of your life, your relationship with God, and turning it to focus on other people. Paul prayed that they'd be full of the love of God. And when they were full of the love of God, they'd be full of the will of God, and he would give them discernment and wisdom, how to not do wrong, but to do right. All these things were a direct result, direct result of them experiencing the love of God. One man standing, praying for another. Prayed that they'd be full of God's love. And then he prayed that they would be full as they could, as they're full of this love, it would produce the fruit. Look at verse number 11. They'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Righteousness. Doing good works. Doing good things. Giving the gift of your time. Giving the gift of your financial resources. The church of Philippi, they were generous people with their resources and money. Pastor Glenn challenged us at the altar time. Just a couple, next week, we're going to be receiving a special offering. And I love partnering with other people in ministry. I love doing that. I love our church being engaged and being a blessing to this community. But we also do acts of righteousness, which are acts of service. Paul said, let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works. Walked into the marriage conference yesterday. I was really amazed. Yasti, are you in the service? Yasti and all over here. I just want you to give them a great big hand. They did an amazing job of hosting this yesterday. But the table, our hosts had mentioned the tables because they were really beautiful. I said, I told my wife, I said, well, who did this? Who did, the, who did the tables? She goes, Mindy did the tables. I said, Mindy, wow. 10 years ago, the devil tried to steal Mindy's life. Oh, she was given a bad diagnosis by the doctors. Uh, they had to do some things. They had to remove her larynx and take her vocal box. Today, I, 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 walk, I walk around and I see Mindy and she tries to communicate. She has a little patch over her and she does talk, but she has to talk basically through that hole that's right here. And she talks and she communicates. And I know she must be frustrated at times because she can't really express things the way that she wants her to. The devil tried to steal her life but he couldn't steal her acts of righteousness, her service and love for other people. Every time you come here at Christmas time, that lobby is decorated with a great big 14-foot tree that Mindy, all the decorations Mindy has done. The tables designed, and they were beautiful. I'm like, my God, come on. I don't care what your position in life is. I don't care what prison the devil has tried to put you in. When you have the love of God, the devil can't steal it. He can't imprison you. He can't entrap you because you're focusing on yourself. Your focus is on serving other people. Come on. Oh. And the last thing that I want you to see about Paul, I, I got to tell you, this is how, this is how we keep joy in our life, but this is how we give joy away. This is how we share joy from our problems. 
we believe the best in others. Philippians chapter one, verse number six, look what Paul says, being confident, I'm absolutely confident. I have assurance. I believe this deep in my soul. Everything within me, I believe this today. I believe within me that you aren't the person today that God wants you to be tomorrow. You see, you might see yourself and others might see you with problems or circumstances or situations. People might even see you apathetic, just kind of coasting through life. But that's not how God sees you. God sees you through a whole different lens. I'm confident. He, he begun the work. He begun it in your life. It's not how you start the race. It's how you finish the race. God's got you. 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 I'm confident of this very thing, that he that has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Come on, until Christ comes again. We're going to meet Christ one of two ways. We're going to meet him by the way of the grave. We're going to meet him in the air, but we're going to meet him. And how we finish this race is determined by how we run this race. Is our focus on Jesus, being a worshiper of him? Is our focus on allowing Jesus' joy to flow through us, flow through us, so that we can be a blessing to others? Because you know when you do those two things, Jesus and others, you're taken care of. Because there's no prison, there's no bondage, there's no doctor's diagnosis that can keep you entrapped, keep you down. Doubt, discouragement, disappointment come to us all. But the moment we choose, the moment we choose to look outwards, to to look upwards and outwards, God's joy fills our life. I'm I'm confident of this today. I was a 16-year-old man, young man. I was far from God. I mean, as far as you can be. Had no, no desire for God. No desire. Zero. I had desire for lots of other things. There was a young man that lived in my community. He'd come over to my house. He'd gotten saved as an 18-year-old. He didn't grow up in a Christian home, and he'd gotten saved. And by the time I met him, he was 21 years of age, and he was a concrete worker. And he'd come over once a week after doing concrete, and he talked to me about joining him doing taekwondo. Like, Taiwan who? <laughs> and so I, he talked me to doing taekwondo. So once a week, he'd come over to the house, and practice taekwondo and then he'd take me to taekwondo lessons he'd come to my bedroom and i had all these bad posters on the wall stacks of albums paraphernalia of all kinds and you know what he never mentioned a word about it you know what he saw he didn't see a 16 year old young man who was far from god no that's not who he saw he saw a person who was going to be born again transformed. He saw a person who had the potential only that God could bring into life and he was my friend. I got off the phone with him on Friday. He called me this last Friday. Want to know how I was doing. I said, I'm doing great. He had no idea that when I was 16 that at the age of 56 I would be standing before you at 1711 Orange Boulevard. Come on. 1711 Orange Boulevard. But he believed the best in me. And he stuck close to me. How do you, what do you believe about other people? How do you see other people? Do you see them the way that Twitter or Facebook? How do you see people? Through your lens of politics? Or do you see them the way that God sees them? 
I've seen potential in so many of you that are sitting here and you are doing acts of service, acts of ministry because someone believed in you. Pastor Glenn believed in you. Your pastor over in another city believed in you. Someone believed in you. Are you believing in someone today? Are you believing in someone today? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? First thing I want you to do today, I want you to focus. I want you to take your focus. I want you really to begin to think about just, and and not long prayers. I mean, for me, sometimes it's just as simple as just sitting down and going through my contact list on my phone and just praying for people. Just praying. I mean, it's really, it's not that complicated. It's really simple. I mean, sometimes my wife and I, we'll be driving down the road, there'll be an accident. We'll just see on the side of the road, we'll just stop, we'll just pray right then. It's not that hard to pray first. It's really actually pretty simple to pray without ceasing. I want to challenge you today to pray for others. Really make the focus of your life. The second thing that I want you to do, I want to challenge us today as a congregation, I want to encourage us today, in order to keep this joy vibrant, is to partner with others. Next Sunday, we're going to come back here. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to praise Him. We're going to be encouraged. We're going to be challenged with the Word. We're going to continue through the book of Philippians. We're going to partner with another minister here in this community. The woman's name is Ora Lynn. She's been our friend for a long time. Ora came from prison, literally came from prison to City Church. She's got a store. You can go online and see her store. Many of you have heard it. But a couple years ago, Ora came to me and said, Pastor, I I want to start a ministry. I'm like, great, start a ministry. A lot of people tell me they want to start ministries. Very few people take it to the next step. A lot of people want to do ministry, but they want me to do the ministry for them, and then somehow they come alongside and do it. No, no, no. You want to do ministry, go do ministry. We're here to encourage you. We're here to believe in you. Man, she went, and she worked a law firm downtown, and she got some papers together and put together 501c3, and she went to talk to people in the community, not even some people in city church, but all over the community at Celebrate Recovery at Northland, all the different places she goes to, about this vision of starting a woman's home. She wanted to start a woman's home for women that were in transition from prison that were getting out and finding freedom. She didn't have a next step when she got out. She floundered and tried, was trying to figure out what to do, and Ora realized that there was a great need of ministry from ladies that were being released from prison to try to make their way back into society. She said, I want to start a halfway home. I want to start a ministry home for them. I'm like, go, Aura. We're on your team. We're partnering with you. The next thing I know, she comes and goes, pastors, she got keys. I bought a house. I said, Aura means business now. Aura means business, then I mean business. We're going to get on board. We're going to come alongside. We're going to partner. We're going to believe. And that's what we can do. See, when you give joy out, guess what you get? You get joy back. Because it's always about Jesus, others, and you. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, thank you today for that grace that's in this room. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. God, I'm so encouraged. I know we can't command joy, but we can encourage others to focus on you. And Jesus, as we worship you and to begin to turn our focus and allow you to flow through us, to pray for others and to partner with others who are doing the work of ministry, God, you fill us today. God, fill, fill every person here today. Let them experience your joy in a new dimension.